Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Plenty to talk about this week with the Bledisloe Cup back on. Bledisloe Cup 3 out of Perth with a new All Black skipper. Plenty of positional chat and a few guys who aren't there which could mix a few things up. We've also got a new Super Rugby format for next year which is posing a few interesting questions about how it exactly works. So before we get into all of that, let's introduce who we are. I'm Ross Carl. Of course, down in Christchurch, we've got Bryn Hall and we've got James Parsons in Auckland. Boys, it is Test Match weekend. James, first after a couple of weeks with no rugby, you are busy. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm always thinking there's a bit more code on. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for this one. Uh, I think it's going to be a uh, few guys given opportunities, so it'll be something new for us to view, which... Um, it's exciting, obviously, with the new new skipper announced and, and his deputies, uh, just adds a little bit more flair to this this I suppose dead rubber when it comes to the Blues. Though, hey, let's get straight into that then. Adi Savia, All Blacks captain, Bryn, something you thought would happen at some point? Um, well, he's the, one of the most experienced guys, and if you're talking around captaincy, you know you want to select guys that are going to be on the field. That would be probably the first guys that you pick in your team, and so. With how Artie's been going and um, the position that he's been playing and how well he's been playing, he's probably warranted around selection every single week. So I think first and foremost, that's important for your captain to, to be able to be selected around that. And then also he's done a great job with the with the Hurricanes as well. So he was obviously the captain this year and had a lot of learnings and grew as a leader in that. And the best thing about that, he's got great deputies behind him with Bodie, who's almost a century in All Black, and Brady Retallick, who's, who's come in real nicely. So, um, But possibly, I thought you know maybe Cody Taylor possibly could have been an option, but uh, he's probably the only other guy that I thought might be um, in the reckoning. But, you know, look, I think Artie's warranted on, on his selection, how he's played uh, this year and in the All Blacks. Um, he's warranted uh, being captain of the squad, and he's got some great deputies behind him as well, as Jipper alluded to. Is it, Jipper, the fact that the number two jersey is up for grabs that probably worked against Cody Taylor? Yeah, potentially. But I think if you look at the leadership group, I'm not too sure the makeup of it, but you've got Whitelock, Coles, Richie and Aaron away. Um, it seems a really good fit with Artie because you know he'll play 80. Um, he's got some captaincy experience, which he's been pretty successful. I remember uh, um, all of us talking about his performance against the Crusaders when he did his knee uh, down the sideline, how he, how he, you know, sort of fought on for a bit and, and the way he led and galvanised his group that day, um, although they lost um, with, a, with a Dave Harvilli drop goal. Uh, they, they put up a massive fight off the back of a really tough week the week before. So he certainly knows how to galvanise his troops, which um, I think is one big plus. The other big plus, I thought his ref management was really sharp during Super Rugby. Um, and that's not always an easy thing to do. And it, it's quite a crucial aspect of captaincy. So I, I'm really excited for him in that sense, the way he, he approaches refs with respect, but also gets his point across. And then finally, um, I think his two deputies will really help him in that game management. You know, Brody will obviously become the line-out leader without Sam there. And then, you know, Bodie um, being at 10, you know, he's your game driver, he's your general, and, and it'll take that pressure and ease off having two players like that with experience behind you helping with those decisions when it comes to penalties. And a classic quote from Artie, too, that he searched the media to see if he'd done anything wrong when he got a message from Posse. <laughs> um, I'm not sure many All Black captains have done that before they've been named All Blacks captain, but it might speak to something about Artie. He is a heart on his sleeve guy and has been getting more and more so like that. You see him standing up 
for the you know the rights of Pacific Island rugby players especially and and he's quite vocal about relationships within the media um I think of Sam Kane is probably also a very honest person in public too and it seems to be a movement um Bryn for the All Blacks skipper we're seeing people who maybe quite more emotionally honest with the public than in the past. Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's a, a great characteristic that, that Artie has. And I think, um, you know, I think it's pretty powerful as a captain, especially being an all black captain, to be able to give out those messages and, and be true to that. Um, you know, so, you know, there's different types of leaders. I think Sammy's um, a great leader in that sense, but it obviously um, has different leadership styles that, um, that are a bit different to Artie. So I think, um, Collectively, I think the the leadership group is really great, and I think what Jip said around Brody and um, and Bodie being able to take away the, the game management role, and Artie can really focus on that um, those characteristics that you said because I think it's a real powerful tool that he has, and it seems to galvanise his troops. You look at the Hurricanes and um, the way they really rally behind him, and the messages that are given throughout not only the coaching staff but the players. Um, there's a really big massive support around him so i think it's no different in that all black environment environment he's been there for for a long time now and like we said he's he's a guy that you put in the team first and hence the reason why he's probably been selected captain as well due to his form and how well he plays so um, i think it's great it's a great initiative and um, it's great for artists to be able to put those messages out and be uh, real comfortable around doing that as well no no i just think i was just going to say like i think it's a society change and shift like uh you know we're, we're wanting people to be more vulnerable and open about their feelings and, and just like anything when when things are going through change you need those leaders to i suppose empower others to make it normal and 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 i think all the all black captains are, are normalizing behaviors that we're wanting to see and um you know in, in society and in young men and women to follow so uh, I, I think it's a it's a great shift and, and he's certainly one of the the more vocal ones yeah yeah it was very moving to see him talk about his parents on the news um there was uh obviously means a lot to him and a lot to his family um bowden barrett is another major talking point um for this weekend <laughs> this is a talking point the <laughs> podcast loves Moonga versus barrett it's a, it's almost a weekly chat um, this is bowden's big opportunity to reclaim that 10 jersey it hasn't really been his since 2018 has it so Let's put forth some arguments here. <laughs> Jibba, are you are you expecting Bowden to step up now and reclaim this jersey and be the guy who just doesn't give it back? Oh, I don't think he should put that sort of pressure on himself. Um, but let's make no bones about it. Richie's made every post a winner. I think more in particular this year, he's, he's really looked comfortable and taking control of um, the All Blacks' attack shape and, and I suppose, kick strategy. Um, so I, I don't think Bodie needs to put that necessary picture, uh, pressure on himself. I, I think the big key for, for Bodie is, you know, really uh, putting some pressure on his forward pack to deliver a platform, you know, set piece being, you know, at, at top quality ball, whether it's line out or scrum, and then winning the breakdown collisions. Because we know if, if Bodie gets, you know, fast ball, quality ball off um, set piece or breakdowns, he can play that flat and fast game, which is really hard to defend. If you don't have time to set his defenders, his pace, he can take you on the outside or take a gap on. But also because of that threat, the defense is probably going to be a little bit tighter in that area, which will create space um, either through the midfield or on the width. Um, so I think there's a big onus on, on numbers one to eight. And I always say it, I, I truly believe that's where the game's won and lost with a tight five at uh, set piece time and then the Lucy's at the breakdown time to to allow guys like Bodie to 
be able to play instinctively and just play what's in front of him. Um, I, I certainly don't think man of his experience is, is going out there to put that sort of pressure on himself, but also, mm. um, you know, force anything either. He'll, he'll play what he sees and, and do what's right for the group. Mm. But, but as you know, Bryn, you know, in, in your duel that you've had for that number nine jersey um, at the Crusaders over a long period of time, you guys have been going at it. You, you've got to take your opportunities when they come up. Yeah, you do. And I think, look, I think uh, what, what Jib said is, is pretty important. I think, you know, he's not going to put that, that much added pressure on himself. I think he's played enough test matches and enough games to have a pretty good understanding around what his game looks like and what, I guess, a good test performance looks like. So I think more so for him, it's having the opportunity to be able to have him um, have the time have the, have the time to be able to play. So he'll have the whole week to be able to, um, you know, take the, take the reins of the attack shape, the meetings, how he wants the team to be to be playing and delivering the messages throughout the week. So, um, but I think, again, there, it is an opportunity for Bodhi to talk about it. He hasn't had any opportunities due to Richie's rich reign of form and, and being able to play well and given his opportunities. But, you know, I think he's played enough footy now to have a, a good understanding of what a, a test match and what a good preparation preparation test match looks like for him. But I think, again, it's, it comes not just on himself. It's around the points that Jip pulled around the forward pack and uh, been able to give him that, that lightning quick ball because, look, if he does get that and he's been able to play, play flat at the line, you know, he's, he's arguably the best in the world at that so um, there's a lot of things around him that have to be able to go well for him to be able to put a performance that he wants you know the likes of like uh, we talk about David Harvilli and Richie Wong's um, combination because he gives him that confidence around what he needs to see and hear and communicate so if Davey's at 12 um, or whoever's at 12 or 13 the communication skills uh, that they do give to Bodhi to be able to um, see this place in front of him whether that be his running game he also has a great variety of kicks in his game. Um, we saw in those test matches that he has played, he doesn't he doesn't mind putting those little kicks in behind him, with, especially with line speed teams. And he's also got a great um, crossfield kick as well. So um, there's a lot of things in behind the scenes that need to go well for him to be able to play well as well. But I think, look, he's played that many test matches. It wasn't that long ago that he was, you know, a two-time rugby um, best player in the world. So you don't lose that. Um, but he's given an opportunity that um, he'll be able to take probably with four hands this week. I think, um, you know, the fact that he's got a couple of weeks as well, it's not just this week and all the pressure around he must deliver, must be an outstanding game. And, you know, he knows he's got a couple of weeks of, of a run in 10. And I think that will relieve a lot of pressure as well. Uh, and, and also, I think the points Bryn made around who's outside him, there's some different voices and that might be able to ignite um, other parts of his game as well. And, and one of those, none other than Damien McKenzie, if he stays at fullback, um, I'm really excited to see the dual pivot role with with Bodie and, and Damo and, and I know they you know they're great mates off the field they love their golf together so a little bit of a mojo between those two I think will be exciting in terms of relieving that pressure off Bodie not always having to be first receiver and um, you know not always having to find that kick space in behind. If you're talking around um, giving guys opportunities and if you know Bodie's going to be at ten it might be a great opportunity to have Geordie in at fullback as well possibly of having him at fullback so. Talking about combinations, yes, um, you know, Damo's been um, unbelievable this season, but you're talking about that brother, that brother to brother combo. You don't really need a lot of lot of time in the saddle to be able to have a good understanding around how people play, you know. So I just I think, um, yep, they... I think they've played, you know, like they've played together this season. I just, I'm just thinking, like, I'd love to see him and see how he goes. Like, I think Geordie's worthy of potentially moving back to fullback, but I, I hope. I just hope for that sort of consistency and not having too much change. There's already a lot of change to the team. And I think where they can and keep people in those key positions, I think keeping that sort of similarity for, for 
you know, guys coming in with these opportunities, it, it probably just gives a little bit less of a disruption. Or you look at it the other way, like you're saying, Brennan, you just change it all and um, give guys opportunity. Well, the only reason why I say that is because, like, I 100% agree with you. It's just more so that, like, um, like Geordie and Bodie, they know each other inside out. So you yeah. talk around, like, if they, did have a, if they did have a change, it actually just wouldn't be that much. You know, you would say if, like, um, if he wasn't his brother, then obviously they haven't played a lot of time. But the fact that they, uh, they know each other inside out, I don't think it would be a big, um, a big shift. I'm going to get into it. Would that be a strong argument for TJ Pedernada being the starting halfback this weekend, then? Oh, yeah, possibly. I think I think for me, you know, Brad's played pretty well consistently when he's had it given his opportunities, you know. He played that Tonga game and yes, obviously the Tongans weren't um um up to what, you know, what the Australians or what he's gonna be going forward with the South Africans and Argentinians. But, you know, Brad's played well in, in Super Rugby and he was one of the form halfbacks in the competition and you know, that's nothing to say against TJ, but um, you know, if you warrant it on around the performances that um Brad's put throughout the year. Um, I'd probably say that Brad's probably um, a better front runner in that department, and more so. I mean, is the fact that he's very similar to Nuggy. You know, he gets mm -hmm. the ball out very, very quick. Um, is a pretty good. Has a good running game when given the opportunity when it's quick ball, um, and so that kind of like for like is pretty similar with Bodie. With sorry, with with Braid, um, with Brad and Nuggy. But um, obviously, TJ hasn't played enough, and you talk around opportunities. Um, you know, they've seen enough. Of, maybe they might have seen enough of Brad, and now it's a good time to give TJ an opportunity. But I think again. TJ does play really well off the bench, and um, he's done that a lot of times in his test matches that he had in his duration of his career with the, with the All Blacks. So, but you know, for me personally, I think um, you know Brad's warranted of that just through the fact that he's played so well in Super Rugby Aotearoa, Trans Tasman, and, and against the Tongans. But again, um, TJ does need an opportunity because he hasn't played a lot of rugby. So, look, they could go in that direction as well. You agree, Jeff? Great points, Bryn. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. So Brad has signed through to 2023, um, which is, you know, a good look for New Zealand rugby. Got their three top halfbacks all there through to the next World Cup. Well, currently the three top halfbacks. Now, is that a lay down as there? Are they all locked in, Jeffa, do you think? Or do you think that there are other contenders who might be able to knock them out of those three spots? Because we usually see three halfbacks at a World Cup. Yeah, look, I think uh, the one thing I love about Brad is he backs himself. Um, you know, you've seen him come back. He, he fell out of the All Black mix after his debut, but he's fought his way back through, you know, determination in his performance um, and delivering on that performance, you know, time and time again to, you know, I suppose not be ignored. Um, and the other thing is, is, um, you know, I love what his teams mean to him. And, and one of his big reasons for staying is to get a hundy uh, for the Chiefs. So I, I think all those things factoring in played a part. And because he's got that belief in his game, he, he believes he'll be there at World Cup time. But let's let's make no bones about it. There's there's that's probably one of the harder positions that will need to be chosen. You know, you got you got Aaron there, you've got TJ, you've got Brad. We know we've got Flau Fakatava who's, you know, going from strength to strength once he's back from his ACL injury. Uh you you know, Mitch Drummond's been um, with the All Blacks, Bryn's been fighting out with him. You know, it's one position where you can just keep going on and on. And then now we've got Finlay Christie, who's sort of popped up and, and taken every um, opportunity he's had in that black jersey to warrant contention as well. Like, we can't just think it's a given, I don't think. And then there's the curious case of Te Tuiroa Tahuriorangi, formerly the number three halfback 
and now he's left the Chiefs and he's made his way to your patch, Brenner. That's a pretty good addition for you guys as a third halfback. Oh, look, I think any time you get a guy of that caliber coming down um, to not only the Crusaders, but any team, it's um, it's a blessing. And look, I think I've been, you know, been very fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with Triple T in the Maldives environment. And um, and look, it could just be, an, it's a great opportunity for him. I think, you know, you know, was obviously at the Hurricanes at first as a young fella and learned under TJ a lot those first couple of years and then uh, went down to the Chiefs and then, you know, was, was with the All Blacks and like you said, was, was the third halfback for, for a time there and then, you know, unfortunately, Brad's played really well the last couple of years and, you know, they went hammer and tongs and then I think, you know, Xavier Rose in, in and around that environment and played a lot of rugby um, last year in that back end of that Trans-Tasman season. So I think it's very I'd look at my experience, um, you know, when I came from the Blues, um, you know, played the first part of my career there and then took a change and an opportunity to go somewhere else and really grew my game. And I felt like um, going down to Crusaders was, was a great environment for me and, and it really helped me. So, you know, I look at Trip, um, it's a great opportunity for him. And look, we um, we love being able to have a, have a competitive environment. You know, Eddie Anadi was there for, you know, for four years who came through the under 20s program and um, grew his game. And, um, you know, just due to the fact that, you know, Drummy and myself, we uh, push each other every single week. It kind of didn't happen for him, but, you know, possibly it could be another opportunity for him in Moana Pacifica, possibly. Uh, but, you know, look, I, I really enjoy Triple T every time we've, I've had time with him in the, the Maldives. He's, he's a great kid. And, um, look, he's, anytime you can add depth to that position, especially in all black, and you can bring him into the environment, um, it's going to be great for us as, as halfbacks in, in our environment, but, you know, more so for our team as well. And he's he's a different player. He's a different player to Jomi and myself, and I think it's important to have, you know, um, different strengths and different ideas um, as a halfback, and, you know, tri Triple T definitely has that um, difference when it comes to him being a halfback as well. I think as well, um, if you watch him during, you know, the first two rounds of Bunnings NPC, he's certainly still got the touch. Um, he set up a great try down the blind side through vision of the backfield, but also the shortness of the defence. And it was instinctive. His winger react off him and, and, and he put him away. And um, so he's definitely still got plenty to offer. And I agree with Bryn. I think maybe, you know, a, a refreshing um, environment, uh, an environment that drives, you know, hellishly high standards. Uh, and he's got two halfbacks that are the most competitive men I've ever met uh, going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, uh, trying to get back in um, the number nine jersey of the Crusaders. So I think it'll bring the best out of him, and uh, it'll, it'll put him in good stead because um, some of his skill set um, other other players can't do, and, and it's, it's naturally, um, just comes naturally to him, especially in and around that breakdown and some decisions he makes around there. Yeah, the, the twists and turns of a professional rugby career, eh? It, it's a sport where, I mean, when you watch from the sideline, Bryn, you know, you can just never really know how a player's career is going to pan out. You know, a few years ago, it was like, wow, this guy's made a debut in Nelson for the All Blacks. There was that hacker in the crowd. There were all these things going on. It was like, geez, he, he could be here for a while. They really believe in him. He was kind of like the new Isaiah Toyava, you know, the, the, the latest kind of person that they wanted to bring up. And and mm. it, it's it's such a unfriendly career in a way oh it is and i think you know that's it's professional it's professional footy you know it's a professional environment it's um you know you you're at the top one percent of, of the country especially in new zealand if you talk about you know your dreams really if you're a, if you're a kiwi kid or woman growing up especially now um it's to be a, to be an all black girl to be playing professional rugby so I think, you know, for, I look at, you know, Triple T um, is the example that we're using. Um, you look, sometimes you get things um, at very early of your age and, and look, 
you, you mature you mature in different ways and so um that's a great opportunity for him and look he's only 25 you know 25 26 so i look at my experience when i came down to the crusaders you know i was 25 um and you know it kind of kind of like a crossroads really in my career and i think what he will find is when he does come down is that he's gonna have a lot of guys that um are gonna be wanting the best from coaches players um, wanting the best for him and be able to get him into a position where he can succeed. And so I think that's really important, especially when you're uh, um, you're trying to figure out a few things, especially um, when you come to that kind of point in, in your career that you really want it to go forward and you want to keep prolonging your career in rugby in, in New Zealand. I think for him personally, I think it's a great move for him. It's, it's going to be an environment that uh, it's, it's going to help him um, be a better player, but I think more importantly as well, a better person as well. Here's hoping. I hope it goes all well for him down there. Uh, we've got a few, um, actually a couple of Crusaders um, who look like they're coming back from injury and should play a bit of a role in the rugby championship. Joe Moody, obviously, um, Braden Eno, then there's Ofatunga Fasi as well. Do these guys, Chipper, play a big role in the rugby championship coming up, do you think? Well, I think once they're back from injury, if you, if you take the two front rowers, for example, uh, there's two schools of thought, isn't there? First school is they, um, you know, potentially work their way onto the bench and, and come off, uh, come onto the field and add some impact. But that has some risks. So a lot of the time when guys are coming back from big injuries, especially in the front row, um, it's better off put them out there to start. Um, for both those men, that's a usual position they're used to is starting. Um, and it's almost like go as long as you can and then we'll get the fresh legs on because the danger of potentially putting guys, um, I suppose, on the bench um, when they first come back is if someone goes down in the first minute, they, they have to go for 79. Um, mm. so, so having that control um, for your squad, it might be a better fit just to put one and three on their backs and send them out there to empty the tank. And then once they empty, they can, they can get the injection from the, you know, two, two, two positions and loose head and tight head that are, you know, well tussled for at the moment. There's guys putting their hands up left, right and centre and they've certainly performed, but the experience and, and calibre of these two men, you'd you'd like to think, especially coming up against the Argies and, and the Springboks, it's it's a prime opportunity to get them back in there. And Braden Enor, how does he fit into all of this? When we look at our mix of outside backs, Bryn, I mean, he's obviously got the ability to be very versatile through the midfield and back three. Does he fit into a 23? Well, I think that's probably the positioning that I think that's the way they would go. And look, um, you know, Braden's an, an out-and-out centre um, traditionally, but obviously through his time with the Crusaders, ended up playing wing in the first part of his career and then transitioning once Ryan Crotty left um, into that midfield and stayed with Jack. But um, I think, you know, I think bringing him and having that 23 role will be a pot that's probably where I'd see him fit. Um, I think because with the fact that with Davey Harville, he's there, ALB, um, and even Quinta Pire is there as well. He's played well, um, even though he's obviously been possibly as a 12, and Rico as well. I think the ability that he can be able to come on that 23, um, be able to have that kind of midfield or wing spot, be able to cover both positions, I think that might be uh, the role that he does play. Uh, but it's tough because there's a lot of good guys in that kind of 23 position that, um, that you're usually selected there. So um, I think it's important that, you know, he hasn't played a lot of rugby. So I think for the fact that if he does get selected, that kind of 23 role and bringing him on possibly for the last 20, 15 minutes and bringing him slowly into that. And then if there are injuries um, in, in the season, um, then at least he slowly worked, walked, his, worked his way back in playing minutes on the bench. And then you can bring him into that starting role if, you know, due to good performances of him coming off the bench and if there's injuries um, in that kind of rugby championship. I think if they look at um, his MPC form, 
Uh, they'll be really happy with where he's at. Uh, he's he you know if you use the Mano two game, he made two or three massive hits through yeah. uh, great speed across the ground defensively, and then you know dropping his body height and hitting right in that rib cage and forcing a couple of turnovers. Um, so so defensively and and I suppose minutes of physicality under his belt, I think he's in a really good stead. He also hit a really good line and gave a great offload in contact that sucked in multiple Manawa two defenders that freed up Josh McKay to set up a try for Shea Fihaki. So his his skill set and his touch and his, his ability to win collisions was a level above at NPC level, which is what you expect of your Blacks. So I think from what they watched, uh, they'll be they'll be really confident and, and comfortable to put them out there in the 13, 13 jersey if, if, if they had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Aussies could bring out Quade Cooper from what I'm reading as well. So we could see some interesting selections over the next few weeks. What do you guys make of the idea, based on his experience, his leadership, what he's done in camp with Dave Rennie, that Quade Cooper could be the number 10 or at least um, coming off the bench in a first five role for the Wallabies this weekend? Um, oh, I think the the bench role would be would be great because I think we've talked about Lola uh, a lot on, on this podcast and I think anytime you're a 10 and look he's obviously had a few um, um, rocky performances just due to the, how, how great the All Blacks have been, been playing and especially defending um, it's been it's been tough but I think the more time that you can get on him and uh, we talked about Bodie having more time to to train as a 10 in the next couple of weeks you know he's they've been training over in, in Australia so been able to have him and been able to continue his growth around um, controlling the team and getting the the attack shapes ripe and, and growing you yourself as a leader within that that squad. I think it'll just be keep continuing to keep playing him. And look, if it doesn't go how things you want in the, the first 15 minutes in the test match, then you've got a guy like Quade Cooper that you can bring on, which you know what he's going to do around his experience and how many test matches he has played. And you know what you're going to get with 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 with, with Quade. So. I just think, you know, sticking with Lollisier and having the guys around him that he's been used to playing with, you know, so whether that's um, an inside pairing with Tate McDermott, who's played really well in the first part of this rugby championship, or you want to go with a bit more experience with Nick White and Jake Gordon's obviously played. But I think the guys outside him that they do pick, who they do continue to pick, is that his, the guys that he's used to playing with and used to be able to be able to have those combinations to feel conf, confident with. So I think they will take the learnings around how they have played the first two test matches against um, the All Blacks and the Bleeders Lows. And so it's been able to have those review processes and then been able to implement what they think is going to be best for the third test match. So I think sticking with Lodicea is really important for the development going forward, especially with the World Cup in a couple of years' time. Being able to get him in pressure situations and games like they are at the moment is really important for his development. There's another option, uh, I suppose, there's another way of looking at it in the sense that Quay could potentially, if he gets in that 10 jersey, he could line up as the experienced back to connect with, you know, a Paisami and an Ikitao at 12 and 13. Um, or it's, you know, you keep Lolosia there because he's your future and you're working towards 2023 and you might as well uh, keep backing him because, you know, to be honest, some of his game has been, you know, top class, a couple of grubbers in behind that set up tries. Um, you know, there's been a few intercepts, but not all of it has been, um, you know, doom and gloom. So I think Noah's showed enough to probably keep his 10. And then they obviously put Tamua there in that second test to give a bit of experience. But we know Samu Karevi's coming back. So if you can put someone of mm. his ability outside Noah, it really will allow them to open up um, and, and take the pressure off, I suppose, a Hunter Paisami who is always trying to crash and get get his hands on the ball that can allow him to free up. It can also take the pressure off Noah uh, with someone of his experience. If they can't 
uh, get him to start or he's not ready to and he wants to come off the bench. I don't think it's a, necessarily a bad option with the Blitterslow said and done to, to put that young combination back out there with Quaid and, and Samu off the bench. Uh, and that young option being Lolosio, um, Paisami at 12, and Ikitao at 13. You know, because we saw the defensive pressure of those two young men uh, really put uh, the All Blacks under pressure in that first test at Eden Park. But it also, again, sticks to the way Dave Rennie builds his squads. He really does back his youth to deliver. And I, mm. re- I really like Ikitao, and I know he's dropped back to the bench. I thought he was great um, in his opportunities. So... There's a number of variations they could go with, but I think it'll be the way they're thinking around managing the game, experience, pressure, dealing with that, and and how it shapes up, I'm not too sure. But I think he certainly has a place to play, um, whether it be you know an opportunity to start and, and an opportunity off the bench. Because we know the style of coach Dave Rennie is. If you're nailing it at training and you're putting pressure on, he will reward you. Is game management, Bryn, the place that the Wallabies need to lift the most in Bledisloe 3? Oh, I I think so. I think probably the things that I've looked around Australia, the things that they probably want to look forward to and the key things is, you know, dealing with the the pressure of the line speed. So, um, you know, you look at probably the first two test matches in the Bledisloe's, you know, they gave away a couple of intercepts around the bridge passes. So you'd like to think that Dave Rennie and their attacking structures will be able to be able to have a solution to be able to do that. And so, you know, a solution that possibly could be, we talked around how do you beat defensive line speed. You could put attacking kicks in. And they did that early on in the second test match, being able to put it just in behind off the lineouts. Um, and then also even with Lola Sia putting in a crossfield kick for a try for um, Callaway in, in that test match as well. So, but I think the, probably the growth that they need to do, especially around the edge, has been how do, how do they get it there. And so at the moment, when they're given those long bridge passes, they're just a flat four. And so there's no animational, um, you, it's a real easy for defenders to be able to pick it up if it's just a flat four line or flat line because you know who's, who's in front of you. So I guess one of the solutions that they could do is be able to get a stack formation, be able to get someone that can run a hard line or a block runner out the back. Um, so all that does, you know, if you've got that kind of um, that kind of setup, it makes your wingers, especially if they're playing high like the All Blacks have with Sevu and um, who's, the, who's the other, who was the other wing and Will, it gives them a, I guess a kind of, yeah, it checks, it checks, it checks them a little bit, and they're been able to go for the ball because I think if it's at flat four, it's easy to pick it off. But if you've got a bit of animation and trying to manipulate and suck them in with their defenders, it might just be that split moment where you can hold them a little bit, and then the bridge pass might be on. Or if you do hit the short ball option, then you'll be able to go forward. And then the next time they get that opportunity, they might be thinking, oh, are they going to be able to play the short ball, or they're going to hit the bridge ball, or they kick as well. So I think that's one of the things that um, you'd like to think that the Australians have tried to, to find a solution around because um, too many times they've had a lot of ball in position and Chips brought it up a lot around, they've had in most test matches, even in the French series, they had a lot of ball, but they weren't getting the pay out of that. So being able to be able to implement that kind of style when they can go through and not giving away such easy easy points to teams, and then also their kicking game. Uh, being able to get that balance in that kind of no, that kind of no-man zone around 40 metres of both of side um, of their half um, and being able to build pressure in different ways because they are holding on to the ball, but I think when they are putting those turnovers, the click attack of the All Blacks has been, has been world-class in it and it always has been. So I think those are the two things that um, they probably need to rectify and you'd like to see some some big movements and movements in, in that kind of play there. Yeah, for me, I, th- I think there's two key areas. First off is set piece. Like They've got to nail their line out if they're going to the corner. They, they miss too many opportunities in both tests 
going to the corner when the game is in the balance, none more so than that line out not straight in the second test when the, when it was really tight. They need to be rewarded. They need to find a way around um, the All Blacks line out defence. Whether that is opened up um, probably potentially under less pressure with um, Sam Whitelock being at home. But I think, you know, you, you saw Brody at the front there always getting up. You know Scott has the ability. We've seen it at Super Rugby, and, and we know Paddy, who is the you know top line-out steals um, of Super Rugby uh, trans-Tasman. So uh, I don't think there's going to be too much relieving pressure in that sense. So they need to find a way of winning the ball um, in good positions, not always just at the front, you know, being able to manipulate to open up the middle and back. Uh, and secondly, I think they need to start the game to their strengths, and their strengths that they've shown over the last 12 months, I believe, is when they play off nine. Uh, you know, Nick White yeah. did it at Eden Park um, the, the year before, and we saw Tate McDermott come into his own. And the reason why I say that is that's going to adjust the all-black defence. So if there's nine running around, it slows that line speed. And if they get some in behinds, they just keep going there, keep keep applying pressure in that, you know, heart space. And then that's going to relieve the pressure on Noah or, or Matsumua from those, you know, big cutout ball intercepts because the defence will be on the back foot and they won't have the ability to get the jump or be connected as well with their insides because the insides are having to slow their foot speed with their weary nature of nines running. Um, so I think that the sooner they start their game on the basis of that, It'll create opportunities to bring Lolaseo's skill set into the game, or Coopers, whoever it is. But if they make those dents with McDermott or White um, at nine, I think it'll set them up for that game management of the whole 80 minutes. Hmm. With all that said, Jipper, and the fact they're at home and have a relatively good history in Perth, could there be a win for the Wallabies this weekend, or is that a step too far for a team that's looked a little bit off the pace in comparison to the All Blacks in the last couple of tests? Oh, I think you'd be silly um, to, to take a win for granted, and, and I certainly know the All Blacks won't be. If, well, I think it was 21-15 or 22-15 when that not straight was thrown in the second test, and they were right in the mixer there. We know there'll be a physical presence um, around the breakdown, but they will have to clean up a lot of errors. They, they gave too much to the All Blacks through turnovers or, um, you know, you know, unforced errors like the like the intercepts. And if you give a team like the All Blacks those opportunities, you, you're always going to struggle to win um, because you're making it all too easy for them. Uh, so they, they will need to shore, shore up some areas, but we know they're capable of it. They've shown it before, especially when they get back to home in Perth. Um, you know, I think it was Scott Barrett got a red card last time, which put the All Blacks under a lot of pressure. Not saying that's the reason they lost that test, but it enable the Wallabies to get on top. So um, if, if they can be really honest in their discipline and providing a good platform and then making their tackles, you know, the, the probably the best way of winning this test is not allowing the All Blacks to score as many points as they have in the past because they've shown they have actually got the ability to chip away at some points as well. So let's look over the Tasman still and the new Trans-Tasman Super Rugby. We're seeing another format of the way that this is going to go, of course, with the inclusion of Moana Pacifica and the Fijian Drawer. This is going to be a different competition with a full round robin format, 12 teams, except you're going to play three teams, sorry, two teams three times and the rest of the teams once. Then we've got a quarterfinal format, a classic quarterfinal format, 1v8, 2v7, etc., um, a complete knockout format. 
it's an interesting change in direction for Super Rugby. It's a competition over the line to work next year. Uh, Bryn, do you like the look of it? <laughs> I think Jip is probably the man to ask in this probably department. But um, <laughs> no, nah, look, I think, I'm retired, um, mate. I think from, <laughs> from man that works behind the scenes, you talk around walking, working behind the scenes, mate. It's uh, you probably <laughs> person asked. But look, I'll give I'll give this a go. Obviously, the first first about hearing it. So. Um, look, I think the fact that there is a 1v8 concept, I, I do like, and I think probably in the past, what we didn't like is, you talk, is talk around New Zealanders, um, is the 1v8 system that have the conference systems with 1, 2, and 3. It didn't matter you, who, if you topped your conference, you'd end up winning and you'd be end up having that home advantage. Whereas, you know, I like this kind of 1 to 8 format, the best 1 to 8 based on your point system. It doesn't matter who you, who you are and what conference or where you're from. Um, it's nice to have that, you know, certainty, and so you're going to be rewarded on we how you how many games you do win and what you finish on. So I, I do like that, um, and then also um, you get to play everybody once. Oh, everybody once. Is that right, Jump? You play everybody once. Is yeah, that, mate. Is that the Yep, cool. You play everybody once. So I think uh, we've talked about that previously, just just within our environments around having that kind of old Super Twelve, Super Super Twelve kind of format of playing everybody once and making and making that fair. And yes, they're going to be uh, three additional games on that but i think anytime you do get to have the opportunity to play everybody once it really is um a true competition because you get to play everybody once and test yourself against everybody so um you know those are the probably two things that i, that I do like and um it comes back to kind of the old school of the super 12 of being able to play everybody once and then and there will probably be derbies i'm presuming with those um three additional matches for able to be have consumers and us as where whatever conference you are in, um, where, where you are in the world, um, it kind of um, is fixated towards your kind of people and how you guys play as a rugby nation. Yeah. For me, quickly before you chime in, Jipper, the concept of a full round robin is so that everyone is on an even playing field. And if you're not all on an even playing field because you're playing a bunch of teams twice and not necessarily the same team that everybody else is playing twice, then suddenly it's no longer an even playing field. Oh, look, I think if you use the NRL as an example, it's been working pretty well for a number of years. They play everyone once, and then there's a number of teams they play twice. Um, and it's just randomly selected. And uh, I don't think uh, any of us would say that that product is um, you know, unclear or unfair in any sense. So it's, it's not a hell of a lot different to that, the way I see it. I'm really for playing everyone once. Um, you know, that, that probably takes all that out of it. And then if you've got three games where you play um, teams twice uh, and, and it's randomly selected, um, you know, it's 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 just luck of the draw, I suppose. And if you're the best team anyway or you're in the best top eight, it, it won't factor too much um, in the scheme of things because you've already had, uh, you know, eight rounds um, or however many rounds um, before, there's 11 rounds before the three games. Um, I think it will be a pretty clear picture by round 11 uh, where the finals are, are looking at. And I like 1-8 to eight as well. Um, I think it um, yeah. gives everyone an opportunity to play some finals footy and, and also opens up for that um, upset, you know, 8 beating 1 or, you know, uh, 7 mm. beating 2. So I, I think that's an exciting as aspect and, and almost that nothing to lose for those teams a little bit further down um, in a one-off game. Uh, do or die, I think it adds excitement to that final series. It makes it a little bit longer, which is um, also um, entertaining, I believe. But as we know, I love watching code. So, of course, I'm going to like that. <laughs> but see, I think and, and with, with that, and with that, Ross, and, um, you know, probably in the past, when we had that 1v8 kind of um, system, 
we were pretty frustrated as Kiwis, even when you were playing. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it was one, two, or three, the South African Conference or the Australian Conference. If your Kiwi team didn't have a better had better points for that, didn't get rewarded with a home semi final, and the difference between going to Australia and going to South Africa instead of having a home final was real was real important. So I think for us as Kiwis, I think seeing the difference in that and being able to see that and being able to whoever the best top four is gets to have the home semi-final. It's not based on a conference system and just having one home nation in um, to be able to be able to have their, you know, their parties happy in, in that sense. Mm, mm. It, it does feel like a competition that's is worth watching, jumping both sides of the Tasman, getting some extra derbies in, seeing the uh, the two new teams come through. It's going to have a fresh feel to it. Um, eight out of 12 teams in the playoffs? Um, that's two-thirds of the competition. Uh, I know that keeps everyone in the running, and I know that gives people a shot out of nowhere, but, you know, in the NRL, you see eight out of 16 teams. Yeah, look, I don't see it as a big drama. I think, like, from my point of view, I think this competition's so close all the time that when you're just outside the top four, you know, by a bit of points differential or something like that, and you've committed a hell of a lot to commit a year, you know, like rugby careers are short. And if you commit a year and you just fall outside the top four, well, some people will say tough luck, but also having the ability to extend that on uh, past, past the top four to, you know, eight teams. I, I, I take your point that it is a high number out of the 12, but I believe it's going to be so closely fought that everyone's going to be like, yeah, we want the eight when it comes around to finals time to, to get that clear, clear winner in that extra week. And to, to, I think the whole thing as the, well, you look around. <clears throat> sorry, Bryn, just before, the whole thing is shaped towards the consumer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's about the derbies are the extra games. It's, it, it's a clear format. There's no conference confusion or anything. And then there's a deeper final series. So it keeps, um, you know, the fans involved throughout um, for the team and, and supporting and getting that taste as well. So I, I think it's been designed really well in the thoughts of what the consumer will really enjoy. Yeah, and I think lastly around it, if you look around the NRL and how much, you know, if, you, if you're that kind of just on the outside, but you've got a rich train of form in the last three to four games and you end up being that number eight or seven spot, you know, usually you're thinking around, if you look at the Warriors, for example, when they played the Melbourne Storm, if they ever just snuck in, they were on a rich reign of form, and then the top team end up being like, oh, there's probably one team we don't want to play coming into a final series. as a team that has that massive form, form, um, they go up in form in that last three to four weeks. So I think that kind of aspect is, is brought into it as well. And so if you're sitting, you know, pretty pretty for the you know, for the duration of the competition, you're in that kind of first, second spot, and a team has just jumped in with that kind of three to four games and playing really well at the back end of the season, it just kind of adds that kind of anxiety. I mean, these guys are playing really well, and um, even though they have finished eighth or seventh, um, we know we've got to be on their game because they're in a rich train of form at the back end of the season where you want to be. Yeah, but there's and, and the best example of that in Super Rugby is the Highlanders in 2015. You know, they had mm. to go away. They played away the whole time, and they, got, they really hit their straps late in the, the round-robin piece, yeah. and that continued on and galvanise them into that final series. And, and who would want to take that story out of Super Rugby history? I, I know there were more teams mm -hmm. then, but that's the reality of what we could potentially miss if it's in that top four scenario. Yeah, yeah. You need some fairy tales here and there, don't you? Absolutely. That's what we watch sport for, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, mostly there's no we 30, 30 documentary title. made on an outright winner that's just destroyed everyone. For five years running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a, still it's saying it, that. Bro. Still waiting for it. <laughs> it's not coming, mate. <laughs> we love a dynasty, though. You know, we love a Federer. We love a Tiger Woods. Um, we kind of love the Crusaders a little bit, well, don't apparently, we? Apparently not in New Zealand. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think dynasties, are they? Are those sorts of places ever going to let the camera crews in? Because they like to keep their, their, their secret juices quite um, tight. You know, you look at the Storm, you, you look at yeah. uh, Queensland when they went on their run, you look at, uh, you know, use the Crusaders here. I don't think a TV camera would be allowed in, would they, Brent? I think only for Razor, really. The, the TV cameras are only there for Razor, so I think possibly his, his dancing would probably be um, a 30 for 30 by itself. So, yeah, you're right, though. It's, it's good. We wait on that with bated breath for that Crusaders documentary. In the meantime, maybe we can get a Blues documentary next year for the, uh, for the great title victory. Oh, mate, wouldn't that be a treat? <laughs> back, back to back. Turn right for the Blues. Back to back, back to back in Trans Tasman Super Rugby. Wow, that would be amazing. Look, I can see the grimace on Brin's face now. It's, it's just not going to happen, <laughs> is it? Oh, it's well deserved. <laughs> they, mate, they won, they won the they won the competition, so they were very deserving. So, yeah, good documentary will be, man. <laughs> and, and voiced by James Parsons. Oh, no, right, no, no, you don't want that. No way. No, you do, mate. Just like you do, mate. I'll tell you what, if you, you can commentate or like be able to be that kind of guy, when you, if you had that much passion when you, had, when you were down that Taranaki game, oh, you'd have me, mate. You'd have me tuned in. You'd have me tuned in, mate. Well, there's one thing I never lack is passion. <laughs> and as the show takes a turn for the worst, we might as well finish it right here. Uh, thank you all for tuning into another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Next week, we'll have some footy to talk. Some analysis. The guys will have their big books out. Brynn will have his, his laptop and um, iPad and Jip will go old school with the book and we'll give you all the analysis that you need. So thank you once again. Brynn Hall down in Christchurch, James Parsons in Auckland. This was the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. See you next time.